0: This is I Choose Life, News and Views, sponsored by Indiana Right to Life and Right to Life of Northeast Indiana. Committed to defending innocent human life for all people of all ages. I Choose Life, News and Views is produced by Bot Radio Network in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Let's begin with a look at the news. I'm Scott Kump. President Biden has now signed what is supposed to be a COVID relief bill, but that many expect will instead massively expand public funding for abortion. In a joint statement, America's Catholic bishops pointed out that the legislation, quote, includes many general references to health care that, absent the express exclusion of abortion, have consistently been interpreted by federal courts not only to allow but to compel the provision of abortion without meaningful limit, End quote. Senator James Lankford of Oklahoma had offered an amendment to the bill to specifically prohibit funds from going to the abortion industry but that amendment was defeated. The Family Research Council has provided lengthy analysis of funding streams in the legislation that could potentially be diverted to Planned Parenthood or other abortion businesses. These include payouts to state and local governments. According to FRC, quote, the funding formula is titled toward blue states like California and New York who are more likely to abuse this money to fund abortions directly and bail out the abortion industry, end quote. The bill also includes many funding streams that purport to go to domestic health care, which is currently interpreted to include child termination. Then there are supposed health and humanitarian payments going overseas, much of which will likely be diverted to so-called reproductive health care. And finally, it is expected that the Biden administration will send bailout dollars directly to Planned Parenthood and others without safeguards such as parental involvement and sexual abuse reporting requirements. Learn more at FRCblog.com. This is Life Issues with Brad Mattis, president of Life Issues Institute. The integrity of the electoral system was severely compromised last November. Pro-abortion politicians used the pandemic As an excuse to weaken state laws that ensure fairness and transparency in key battleground states, Susan B. Anthony List is teaming up with American Principles Project to launch a major initiative to protect the voting process. Virginia's former Attorney General Ken Cuccinelli will lead the effort. One of their first goals will be to defeat H.R. 1, a bill that would gut fair elections on both state and federal levels. Currently, we have a pro-life majority on the Supreme Court. This new effort will also help protect it from the far left who want to pack the court with pro-abortion justices. This is a project we all need to pray for. Follow us on Twitter at Life Issues USA and stay informed. More informed than you've ever been.
1: I Choose Life news and views. As always, I'm glad to have you tuning into the program. And I'm also always honored to have our guests joining us. We have the most amazing guests on this show, and today is no exception to that. Dr. Lori Bazzetti is joining us today. She is a member of APLOG, for those of you who are familiar with the American Association of Pro-Life OBGYNs. But she also has a unique story in her own history that has brought her into the pro-life movement, and that's what we're going to have her really delve into today. I find these personal stories really inspirational, um, and I think that probably you do as well, and refreshing, knowing that the pro-choice movement, that the pro-abortion movement is not a static movement, that the people inside of it, their hearts can change, um, and that that is one of the reasons why we pray faithfully for them. So, Dr. Pizzetti, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I'm um, honored to be here. I also love that you are an Indiana resident, not born here, but will take you as a transplant. Um, After you did your schooling in Iowa, then came here um, for your OBGYN training and residency and have stayed here ever since. And then also your organization that you started so big. We're going to talk about that as well. Glad to have you guys part of the Indiana landscape. Thank you. We love
2: living here in Indiana.
1: Yeah. Well, we love having you here especially since the change in your viewpoint. Can you start us off,
2: Dr. Bazzetti, with your story? Yes. So I grew up in a university town, and just from the beginning, I uh, was introduced to the pro-choice stance, and just kind of adopted that viewpoint Um, I felt that the government shouldn't be involved in a woman's decision um, about her pregnancy, but I felt that also there were some instances where abortion may be an option for women too. I held that view and actually chose to, knew that I wanted to become a doctor and went through medical school and then was matched out here in Indiana and went to IU for my um, residency training. Uh, In my residency program, we were required to learn how to do an abortion. And one of my mentors actually ran the abortion clinic. So the day that I was uh, had to go for my training, I went and he showed me how to do the abortion. And then I sat down and he walked me through the steps of an abortion as well. And um, I just remember feeling very nauseated that day. I knew that I would never want to perform abortions in my practice, um, but I still maintained my pro-choice stance. I then went on to go into private practice, and at that time, my husband and I decided to have a child, and we were really excited about it. And um, because I was in OB, I had access to early ultrasound, and so we had the option to see our baby early on. While I was laying there on the table, though, I looked at the screen and saw that our baby's heart was motionless and so mm-hmm. that we had a demise um, I lost the baby, and so I, I chose to Uh, miscarry on my own and then didn't really take time to grieve the baby and kind of push myself back into the busy work of my schedule with surgeries and call and, and seeing patients in the office. But over the next six months, it just became more and more difficult for me to go to work. And in confiding with a very close friend of mine, she. Made me come to the realization that I was I was grieving my baby. I hadn't taken time to actually grieve my baby. Yeah, and it was really just kind of eye opening for me because I hadn't really let myself think about that question, or had hadn't really let myself think about that grief because it would have um, begged the question if I was why was I in so much pain if a baby's life didn't begin until after it could um, live outside the womb. So that really was my journey towards starting, moving to the pro-life viewpoint.
1: I think sometimes it's easy for us to look in at stories like yours and say, oh, well that switch flipped overnight. Does that mindset change happen relatively quickly or did it take a little bit of time to sort of percolate on it and think it through and allow that change to sort of ripple through all those years of holding a pro-abortion stance?
2: Yes, it really, it took years. So it wasn't just an immediate. I mean, I think when I went through and was actually involved in the actual process of an abortion and seeing that procedure, that had a profound effect, but it still didn't, I still felt that it was a woman's choice at that point, but it was starting to, my views were starting to soften in that. And Mm -hmm. then just having gone through my own loss and realizing all the hopes and dreams in that baby and and then i it really opened my eyes to the pain that the patients in my office were experiencing i started having more and more conversations of women that were just broken hearted after having an abortion and that just seeing the the emotional turmoil that that created in their lives and and then also seeing some women that went on to experience you know issues with term birth, sterility and things like that, that abortions can often set women up for. So it was a gradual process. It wasn't just overnight. And I think that's why it really took me, you know, that six months even of just that was coming face to face with, oh my gosh, I have, I have had the wrong stance on this and my heart changed, but that took a, a while to face that and to really work through it.
1: One thing that I think is a common strand among people who are pro-abortion, and especially doctors, is that their intent is to help women. Right. And so when you started seeing the backlash of abortion in your patients, what was your response to them? Because in the media and in the loud culture these days, we see this shout-your-abortion-campaign kind of mentality, and anybody who's suffering because of abortion is told to shut up and stand in the corner. But as a physician, you had sort of a unique opportunity to work with these women. What did that look like? I think it was
2: offering them first a listening ear to, you know, validate all the emotions that they were going through, to point them to resources, whether that be books to read or set, you know, offer them counseling, recommended counseling sites. So it was just kind of being that ear, but then also someone that would point them to uh, continued healing support groups, that sort of thing.
1: Now, in your practice as an OBGYN, were you actively performing abortions about the time that you had the miscarriage, or was that one abortion during residency enough to turn you off to actually doing them?
2: Yeah. During the residency, that training was enough to just turn me off. I knew I never wanted to do it in practice, and so I never did it once I finished residency.
1: So then once you had this change of heart, I know that eventually you created so big, but what did that path sort of look like as you were coming out of the pro-abortion stance and really beginning to see like, oh, I need to support the pro-life way of thinking more?
2: So I kind of during that time, after having my first child, I um, transitioned into working as a teaching faculty and eventually as an administrator for the St. Vincent's OBGYN program. And so um, during that time, I was the associate program director and then oversaw the uh, women's health clinic. And so had an opportunity to see women that were often in desperate situations that sometimes felt like abortion was the only answer. And so it was my viewpoint of having changed um, to pro-life and then seeing these Um, women that were just in these difficult situations, and and God just kind of breathed in that, you know, create a place where women can choose life. So that's what got me on this journey to start creating a home for them. And so it actually took several years from the point that I first had this, uh, God gave me this vision to um, actually coming to fruition. So even though I was an OBGYN, I didn't really know that much about maternity homes. They really have just made a resurgence kind of in the last 10 to 12 years. So it was my first part was just researching and figuring out what was involved with it. And then um, I started just asking and trying to get connected with different people and eventually just decided to start a not-for-profit. And then God just kind of put the pieces together for allowing that to to happen. And, And then we eventually were connected with a church that lets us use the home um, that we uh, have the women in. And so it's been a, it's a great journey.
1: If you're joining us partway through the program today, we're talking with Dr. Lori Bazzetti, who is an OBGYN who started as an advocate of abortion um, in the way that she was pro-abortion and then also knew how to do them, but wasn't actively practicing them in her practice and then had a change of heart. And since then has started a ministry called So Big. So, Dr. Bazzetti, I would love to get an idea of what So Big looks like. What's the day-to-day? What kind of women do you help? Typically, when I hear maternity home, I think of women who are
2: homeless. Is that who you guys cater to? Primarily, yes. So we're These are women that don't have a stable place to live. Either they're moving from couch to couch, or they are in a shelter, or um, they're going to be evicted very soon. And, um, and some are living on the streets, too. So um, we just get a, a gamut of that.
1: And I noticed is in your description of so big, it wasn't just about providing a temporary home so they could have their babies,
2: but it was about breaking a cycle of poverty. Right. We like to say that we're not a we're a shelter, but we're also a program. A woman can come at any point during her pregnancy, and she can stay for up to a year after the baby is born. And during that time, we offer. Life skills training. We offer educational opportunities. We uh, connect them with resources that will help them to be able to get stand on their feet once they leave. And so we ask that they are employed while they live at their house, and once they're off maternity leave. And then we also introduce opportunities to get to know Jesus better. So we do evening devotions, um, which they often lead themselves. We have them go to church. We offer for them to go to church on Sundays. And then we also are just help them learn life skills in terms of taking care of a house. So they, we do community meals in the evenings. And so they increase their cooking skills and they each have chores around the house to maintain the upkeep. And so those are just some of the things that we do. We're staffed 24-7, so we always have a staff member there that helps facilitating them and help keeping them on track. And, uh, you know, a lot of these women just haven't had opportunities to learn how to do forward planning and and keeping a calendar. And so we help teach them in that skill as well.
1: Yeah. That overnight staff person, I wish when I had a baby at home, I had an overnight staff person. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Because that's definitely the hardest part of the day is in the middle of the night so I'm sure having that person overnight is, is a godsend to those women.
2: <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, I think a lot of these women don't have the support um, and don't know things that sometimes we take for granted in, as we begin to take care of our babies. And so just to have someone that has had some experience that can just be there for moral support is a big plus for these women.
1: Wonderful. If you don't mind, I would love Dr. Mazzetti to sort of pick your mind about the medical world and how our doctors are being trained. And so one question that came up as you were telling your story and your history was I found it really interesting, devastating, but interesting that learning how to do an abortion was required during your residency at Indiana University. So one of the universities that Indiana is so proud of here is requiring you to do an abortion. And so that
2: was some years ago. Do you know, is that still the case? No, it's no longer the case. They used to have an abortion clinic within the county hospital, and that has since gone away. And then I haven't spoken, you know, with the program director recently, but the last I knew that that was no longer a requirement. Okay.
1: Because one concern that we've had at Right to Life with IU is the research that they've been doing on aborted fetal brains. And so they're they're trafficking aborted baby parts and then doing research on them. And so when you said that piece, I was like, oh, maybe there's a piece that we're missing here. Are they still requiring it? So glad to hear that that's no longer a requirement of the residency program. And then to sort of build on that, the fact that the person who was teaching how to do that was your mentor. And also, I think you said the owner of the clinic or the head doctor of the clinic. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. this this sort of very intricate tie-in between the person for whom you rely on for support being the person who's guiding your hand through a procedure that you realize during the course of the procedure
2: that there's something wrong with it. Yeah, I mean, I think as teachers in the OBGYN, everyone has, we just have a tremendous amount of influence in what we say and do. And so I just think the more that the American Association of Pro-Life OBGYNs can get that support out to these residents is, is key and, and huge, um, just knowing that it is important and it is in the bestest interest of the women to support a pro-life stance.
1: Yeah. Did you feel a sway one way or the other in medical school? And do you see a sway being taught, you know, as you were a teacher, did you see a sort of an agenda being pushed or was it pretty stick to the medical facts and and this is what we've got?
2: Um, As a med student, I don't think I interfaced too much with it. As a resident, there definitely were discussions about when does life begin and when do we support a baby outside of the womb? And, um, you know, I always remember feeling very conflicted during that and never really felt like I had an answer during that time. I, I have an answer now.
1: Yeah. Do you think that in today's culture, and I don't know if you have a perspective into medical schools anymore, but do you think that in today's culture there's an open dialogue or do you think that there's not much of one at all or that it has a certain perspective that's being put forward as, like, this is what you need to think?
2: I think women's rights and her ability to choose comes to the forefront, and and sometimes people equate that with her being able to have an abortion. But really, it's really her choices to get the best possible care and the best information. And so I think that's where sometimes the message gets skewed a little bit into... Yes, it's a woman's choice, but really what is best for her in that choice. Yeah. So, and, and getting her well educated so she can make the most informed decision is, is what we want for them.
1: Speaking of being well educated, I found it really interesting. You mentioned that you decided to continue your miscarriage naturally. I've done a couple of interviews about miscarriage um, last year. I did a, a series on them, which, listeners, if you missed it, you can go on our website, ichooselife.org, and go listen to those. Mm-hmm. But it seems like a lot of women don't realize that that's an option, that when they're going through a miscarriage that a lot of times, you know, obviously there's medical conditions that will sometimes preclude this, but right. that in many cases you're able to carry that baby until your body recognizes the miscarriage and takes care of it itself. Would you be willing to talk a little bit more about that
2: experience? Sure. I think you know, some of the concerns sometimes in allowing a woman to miscarry spontaneously is that there can be significant hemorrhage. So knowing and educating them well enough of when you need to call if you don't think that your body is, is doing an adequate job of miscarrying on its own. So I chose to um, miscarry spontaneously just because I had a lot of knowledge in the area. Sure. And I think the earlier someone has a, a loss, the less chance for hemorrhaging and bleeding, as you get farther into the latter part of the first trimester, it's, it's much more difficult. So I think some of that is, is best done just being counseling with the doctor. Um, sometimes it is an option, but I think just being aware that it could also put you at risk for needing a transfusion if you don't get to the hospital in time and things like that. Those would just be my concerns. And the reason I chose it, was because I felt I knew when I could, when I should get to the hospital quickly, mm-hmm. something didn't go right.
1: And you mentioned Dr. Bazzetti that it was about six months after you lost your baby that then you finally, your whole self said, hey, we have to stop and grieve. Do you mm-hmm. think that, because I've heard from some women that they have found it easier to grieve that baby when they were able to carry until they spontaneously miscarried. Did you see that as a factor in your miscarriage? Or do you think it would have been similar if you had gone in for a DNC that you would have sort of blown past that still until that, you know, later time when you sort of came around and said, I can't function like this anymore?
2: For me, I mean, that was one of the reasons that I chose to miscarry spontaneously was goodbyes are very important to me. So that was part of how I wanted to say goodbye. But I don't know that it would have made a difference for me in terms of the length of time it took me to grieve in the sense that I was struggling with not only the loss of our baby, but also just this realization that what my beliefs had been were no longer holding up and were changing.
1: Well, I appreciate you being willing to share that experience with us. I find that it's one that our culture is beginning to talk about more, but that we have not done a good job of helping each other grieve in the past. So thanks for allowing us to hear your story a bit on that side of things. Oh, you're welcome. So we've mentioned at least two organizations here in the course of this interview and I want to make sure Dr. Presetti that we give people a chance to connect into those organizations. So the mm-hmm. first one is So Big. So if people want to check out So Big, if they know someone who maybe should be referred to So Big, how do they find you guys?
2: They can go to sobig.org and there's a application on our website. There's also a number they can call. Our house number is 317 317- And you can speak to one of our staff and they can direct you in the application process as well and answer any questions.
1: And that home is in the Indy area. Yes. It's in Whitestown, Indiana. There you go. So if you know somebody in that area who needs some help, perfect. There's a resource for you but then also for everybody, no matter where they are, Applog, the American Association of Pro-Life OBGYNs. And I told you, Dr. Bassetti, before we started this interview, I love to talk about Applog whenever I get a chance to because so few people know about it and it's so important to have a pro-life OBGYN. Like, I wish that I could spend all day talking about how important it is to have a pro-life OBGYN, <laughs> but I'll let
2: you sort of give us a quick rundown of Applog
1: um, and then how to connect with them.
2: Right. So we at APLOG believe that every woman deserves the best possible medical care and the best information about their health care. And so the American Association for Pro-Life OBGYNs exists to produce and provide that information. And we do it at the service of both of our patients, both the mom and her baby. So I think that you can go on um, to the website. I am not sure that I have that right now. (laughs) I think it's aaplog.org. Yes. And it's an organization that non-medical people can join as well as non-OBGYNs, allied health professionals. Um, So it's along with the pro-life OBGYNs, a lot of ancillary service people can join as well. And even if you uh, just have a heart for pro-life and there's all sorts of information available on it, resources and the kinds of things that we're doing out in the community, latest research, that sort of thing. So it's a wonderful organization. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I think recently APLOG established a mental health wing as well. So that's maybe something to check out for people who have been on it, but not recently. Mm -hmm. And also you can do a search for pro-life OBGYNs in your area. So if you are needing to find one, you can go on APLOG and take a look at who's in your area. Absolutely. All right. Well, thanks so much for joining us, Dr. Bazzetti. I, again, appreciate your willingness to share your story and also your testimony from you know, your switch from pro-choice to pro-life and what that looked like in your own life. And then also the beauty that has come out of that with your ministry so big. So thanks for joining us today. Thank you very much for having me.
0: March is Women's History Month. Here's former Indiana legislator Christy Stutzman discussing the early leaders of the women's liberation movement.
2: And the other thing I really loved about researching these ladies was that I found documented evidence from their own writing and their own words that they were hugely pro-life. They were completely against abortion. And I don't think there's a whole lot of women who consider themselves on the cutting edge of knowing, you know, about women's rights and everything that realize how strongly these women made statements saying that they were pro-life. And it just made me love them all the more, you know, because they were coming down on the right side of the issues. They were anti-slavery, they were for equality, and they were for life. So that just lit my fire, and it was like, oh my goodness, we got to really honor these ladies even more because they understood the value of life.
1: If you or someone you know is in a crisis pregnancy, help is just a phone call away. Call 877-791-5475. If you or someone you know is dealing with grief and pain after an abortion decision, Whether you had an abortion, convinced someone else to have an abortion, or even participated in a procedure, call 877-791-5475. You'll be referred to a pregnancy resource center in your area, a place where free and confidential services are available. That's 877-791-5475. 877-791-5475.
0: March 21st is Down Syndrome Day. We hope to share a conversation with you next week regarding the way Down Syndrome individuals are targeted by the abortion industry and others. Meanwhile, for stories about parenting children with Down Syndrome, go to focusonthefamily.com. You've been listening to I Choose Life News and Views. If you have questions about this program or if you'd like to support the fight for life, please call 260-471-1849 or go to IChooseLife.org because without the right to life, no other rights matter.